Hi, my name is Brooke Rodriguez. I'm a Taino mother living in Matinecock territory. Mijuxis. My name is Desiree Kane. I'm a Miwok Two-Spirit. Osio. My name is Mia Beverly. I am from Sand Hill Band of Cherokee and Lenape, and welcome to First Foods. A program made by and for Indigenous people and our allies. Who are ready for a new day for old ways. First Fruits program is produced by Grinding Stone Collective in partnership with Green Feather Foundation and Her Many Voices Foundation, along with important support from community members like you. We have some protocols we'd like to go over with you. Land acknowledgement. We recognize, uphold, and respect Native nations and their life ways above all else as the ruling governance of Turtle Island and Abia Yala. Everyone attending this space must uphold the same. Native knowledge. Lessons learned are not for non-natives to monetize on or repackage as their own. Native knowledge systems belong to the cultural communities they come from and to the guest teachers in our programming. Foraging and harvesting. Always seek permission from tribal communities to forage and harvest. These medicines or foods may be seasonal or being left to replenish themselves. Also respect if the answer is no. Intertribal space. We are all from different nations and regions, so what may be odd or undesirable as food to you might be good to someone else. Respect that and don't insult or belittle. Respect tribal food, land, and medicine sovereignty. Remember that majority of foods are shared by many different tribes, but with different names. Do not try to claim exclusivity or copyright for your own people. It's okay to share the name as you know it. It is not okay to create dissent over a different name. No dissent over blood quantum or otherwise more Indianer than you fighting. Food sovereignty. First people have the rights to hunt, fish, forage, and harvest in their traditional territories. It is unacceptable to critique traditional or contemporary dietary styles as a non-native. Please put any questions that you have in the chat. The last 30 minutes of class, we often invite attendees to come on and interact with our instructors. Disclaimer, First Foods is for educational purposes only. Before using or ingesting any herb or plant for medicinal or culinary purposes, please consult a physician, medical herbalist, or suitable professional. Welcome to another First Foods. Um, we are so happy to have you here with us today. 
I don't know if you saw in our intro video, there were some huckleberries and we have a wonderful class for you today featuring uh, Hoopa and Yurok Matriarch and food sovereignty activist Megan Baldy, who's teaching on agroeconomy, food as a sustenance and capital with a food preservation demo. She's going to be showing us how to preserve some huckleberries with safety involved. So hello, Michoxus. Uh, we just again want to acknowledge everyone. It's a wonderful day. If you have any questions in the chat and you would like to be called on during the one third back end of our class, which is usually Q and A, um, please do that. Uh, we've got our much loved Mia here as our co-host, and we would uh, love to just. Have you go forward, Mia. Thank you everyone for coming to class. And here we go. Thanks, Desiree. Um, happy Earth Day, everyone. Hope you're enjoying your um, late afternoon, early evening. Um, today, I'm coming from Washington, DC or Piscataway land. And I'd like to introduce Megan. Megan Baldy is a Hoopa and Yurok matriarch and food sovereignty activist based in Hoopa, California. She is a cooking host for Cooking Healthy in Indian Country and district coordinator in the Conservation District. She's also a garden manager for KTR uh, DC. Uh, Megan is a skilled master food preserver and we are excited and honored to have her today. Megan can take it away. Hi everybody, Megan Baldy here. Um, welcome to my kitchen here in Hoopa, California. Um, as Mia said, I am a master food preserver and I have been preserving foods for a long time. I actually got my master food preserver certification through the UC Cooperative Extension here in uh, Humboldt County. And um, I've done preservation in the past, but the class was really great because I'm able to now safely teach people how to home can. Um, and the point of it is just making sure that you can make your food last longer or you can preserve it right so um i am a hoopa yurok uh, member and i live in um the north north part of california very north almost the oregon border um i am a mother of six children um and you know food is very important to us um for many reasons not only because of the fact that you know they eat me out of house and home but also to the fact of you know the nutritional value how things are raised, how things are processed. We think about that here in this home. Um, we are, consider ourselves a little bit of a homesteader. Um, we raise hogs for meat and, um, you know, my children are the ones that raise them, that we butchered ourselves. Um, we're avid gatherers and hunters. So um, every fall, we usually go out, well, between the summer to the fall, we're, we are following a berry schedule. So in the early, uh, summer, we're looking for raspberries and thimbleberries wild out in our in our mountains. Um, and then after that, we are going after the blackberries and the huckleberries. Um, and then we get into the elderberries. So we're avid gatherers. Um, what I really appreciate about being and living in this lifestyle is the memories and the connections that we actually have with our food. Um, for instance, you know, when I open a jar of fish or when I open a jar of huckleberry jelly, um, I remember where I was at when we were picking that. I remember who I was with. 
I remember the conversations that we were having as we were out there. So that connection to food is so valuable today. Um, also happy Earth Day. Um, you know, our Mother Earth, they, she provides for us so much. And um, we, we really, in our family, take advantage of that. Um, mainly, we do subsistence gathering and subsistence fishing. So we don't really sell our food because of the fact that, that we eat it a lot. But value-added product, um, which is something that you do to um, either a berry or meat um, after it's been harvested. And then you can do either jerky, jams, jelly. So that's that value-added product you're putting value into um, something. And so I'm going to be teaching you guys how to make value-added product and to make it safely. So I'm just going to go over a few things to begin with. And it's just kind of, where do you start? Okay, so there is pressure canning and then there's water bath canning. Okay, Megan, how do I know which one to pick? Well, very easy. Um, it depends on your acidic level. So this book called So Easy to Preserve, this is the book that we were given um, as we took the Master Food Preserver course. Um, it has a chart in it, if you guys can see, and the acidic levels will tell you what to can. So if your item falls in the high acidic level, which would be zero to 4.6, um, it would be a water bath can. If your asset level is um, lower, a 4.7 to a seven, you would do the pressure canning. So usually what you pressure can would be your meats, um, green beans, mushrooms, um, just different things that are, have a low acidity. Um, and then you would water bath can your higher acidic foods such as your tomatoes, your salsas, uh, your jellies, your jams, all of that. Um, so you could find these guides. You can you can look up your food's acidic level on Google. They have that. But if you ever get a chance to go to the University of Georgia, um, which is the National Center for Home Preservation, if you get a chance to go to that website, you can look up all of that. And it has a lot of these recipes in there. Um, when you do these type of recipes or you do these type of classes, the, the main thing that they teach you is to follow the recipe according. And so all of these recipes in this book, so easy to preserve, have been scientifically tested um, so that you can safely can in your home and not worry about foodborne illnesses like botulism, uh, E. coli, any of those types of things that you could potentially give to your family. So each one of these um, recipes in this book have been scientifically tested in that website, National Center for Home Preservation. It also has scientifically tested foods. So this book has A to B. Um, it has canning, it has fermentation, it has freezing, it has dehydration. It's a pretty cool book. It's the most complete book that you could actually find out there that has all these different techniques of home preservation in it. So if you get a chance, look it up. Um, I believe they sell it on Amazon, but you could probably get, I think there's a website that's so easy to preserve website that you can buy it on. So again, the low acidic food. So I have a jar of salmon here. Um, this is a low acidic food. So I pressure can this um, in a pressure canner and this is what I do with my salmon every year. So I'm gonna go over the makeup of this jar. So you have your base which is this, and that's what you're gonna fill your jar with. Then you have your headspace. So these rings right here, 
around the top of your jar or your headspace. Every single one of those recipes that I told you about, they all have a headspace um, measurement. So for, um, for um, background, this is about one fourth headspace. This is a half a headspace, and this is one inch a headspace. So you can follow this all the way around and try to eye it out. But if you don't feel comfortable eyeing it, they actually have headspace um, tools that you can get and you can set in your cup and find the headspace. So that's your headspace of your jar. And then you have your lid. Now these are aluminum lids. They have a gasket on them. And so that gasket is a one-time use. So once you use it, you cannot pressure can or can anything in it again, but you know you can use it for a lid or whatever, whatever creative you might find. But this is a one-shot thing. The jar you can use over and over again. Um, when it comes to pressure canning, a lot of times I don't recommend you using a jar over and over and over again, because if you're like me, um, I use jars for everything. Like my fine china, um, all of those things. Sorry, somebody was trying to call me. I'm back, am I back? So like fine china, drinking out of cups and stuff. Um, I use that. Um, so sometimes when, when you use them over and over, you're throwing them into the sink. And like, I have kids that do dishes and they're not very gentle. So they're bouncing this thing all around in your sink and you might not see it, but there might be a crack in there. And so um, a lot of times they will bust open in your pressure cannon because they're under so much pressure. So I just recommend like, you know, re using maybe one or once or twice for pressure canned items. Other than that, you'll probably want to use the jar after that in water bath canning. So that's the, the jar makeup. The other thing is the ring. Um, this one you can use over and over and over again. Um, and basically just goes on your jar just like that. Now, um, for preservation, like I talked to you before was you use either the water bath canner or the, um, when you're canning, the pressure canner. But there's also a couple different types of um, preservatives that you use. And so salt being a preservative for like when you do your pressure canning, sugar being a preservative when you do your water bath canning. So when you're talking about what preservative to use um, and jams and jellies, 90% of the time or 100% of the time, you're gonna be using sugar. So a lot of people ask about um, the amount of sugar that goes into there, if they can like half size it or take it down or whatnot. And the answer is no. If the recipe calls for a certain amount of sugar, you have to use that. But there are um, recipes out there that you can get that are low sugar. I think SureGel makes a low sugar recipe. And then there's also um, Paloma uh paloma pectin you can get it at like the natural food store it's organic too and that one has a lower sugar content that you can do your recipes but other than that you have to put the amount of sugar that it says and the salt the same so like if it says a half a tablespoon or a teaspoon of salt per jar when you're making your canned fish you have to put that in there too because that's your preservative without these preservatives you risk um bacteria growth um, you could also risk, you know, foodborne illnesses. So the preservative is super important. Also, if um, you don't use the correct amount, 
um, you could actually have set failures when it comes to jams and jellies. Then you'll just have like syrups or, you know, most likely not anything very tasty. So you want to make sure that you follow your recipe according. Um, so when uh, you're deciding what you're going to can, um, you know, there's some tools that you're going to need for your canning. And one of the tools that um, you have to have is this guy right here. This is called a jar lifter. And it's basically what it is. It just, you just take your jar, you lift it up over. You cannot can without these things because this jar is going to get super hot in the pressure canner or in the water bath canner. You can't pick it up with your hands or some people uh, like try to pick up things with like tongs or something. You can't do that either because it's going to be super hot when it comes out of there. And like if you drop that uh, jam or jelly or that fish, you could risk getting burned. So make sure that you just use your jar lifter. Don't try anything else. I've tried and failed. So use my failure as an example. Um, again, a measuring cup. Um, for our recipe, we're gonna be using a lot of sugar. So you have to measure out the correct amount of sugar. This is a two cup measuring cup um, and also a jar funnel. And it's just that you just take it, goes right on your jar, you pour your stuff in, that kind of stuff. Um, those are, this is very essential when you're doing jams and jellies because the jam is so hot when it's finished into its processing and when you're putting it into the jar that this thing is super, um, super needed, especially since like jam is very sticky. And if it got all over the sides of your lid or your rim of your jar, um, it might compromise the seal. So that's that seal between that lid and that jar. One of my favorite things is this spoon. I think you can get them on Amazon. Uh, I just call it a scoop spoon. But what I love about it is it has this like cool little thing where you can hang it onto the, um, onto the pot while you're waiting for it to do. You have um, this uh, like sides, if you guys can see it, like a pour side but it also kind of comes to like a rounded point right here. So you can like really scoop around your pan. I love this thing. Um, I recommend it if you're gonna be a uh, avid canner to utilize this. Um, and then you have your canners. So right now I'm gonna take you guys over to my canner. Sorry if I make you guys motion sick, but this is my water bath canner. Um, the water bath canner is basically, I want to say that this one is 37 quarts and it's a stainless steel water bath canner. It has a glass lid, which is really great. Um, if you guys remember, if you're familiar with canning, usually they had like the old enamel canners, which were like black and it had like speckles all over it. And you couldn't see through the top or anything like that. Um, with this one, you can see, um, I call this a Cadillac canner. Um, because it's stainless steel, it's easy to use, and I can everything in it because um, I cannot use an enamel canner because of the fact that I have a flat top stove. So if you look at the bottom of those enamel canners, they actually have like ridges all through the bottom, and you cannot put those on a flat top stove or flat top electric stove. So I have to use this canner for my canning class. So Basically what comes in it is a cool nifty rack and I'm going to pull that up.
So this rack's essential. So sometimes people are like, well, do I have to have the rack? Yeah, you do. And the reason being is the rack actually separates the jar from hitting the bottom of the pan, especially when it's uh, boiling rapidly. You don't want it, your jar to just to be hitting the pot. So you need the rack um, for it to be um, nice and safe in there. As you guys can see in my rack, I have jars. So these jars right here, I washed and cleaned in soapy bleach water. And then I just put them in the canner. And why I put them in the canner is so that they can come up to temperature because I'm gonna be putting something very hot inside of this, which is the jelly, right? And so when I do this, I like to wash my jars first and then I put them in the canner just to bring them up to heat and then I'll take them out. But I also put my lids and rings in there and I'll show you another cool tool in just a second for the lids and rings. So just like that, I have them on a cool like um, cookie sheet with um, paper towel because this is gonna get nice and sticky. So that's just where I'm gonna set them at. Um, the next tool, which I thought I grabbed that. Uh, this is, um, I call it a debubbler knife or whatever, but it's basically like you take your jar, like say you put, just, as, just like for tomatoes and stuff where it calls for it, you're going to push around and get all that air out of it. Um, this recipe doesn't call to use it in that way, but at the end of it, there is a magnet, as you can see right here, and that magnet is for a purpose. It is to get your lids out of your canner. Very nice and safety, safely, without having to touch them. The less that you have to touch them, the best. And so this little thing is cool. You could actually look on Amazon and what you wanna look for is a home canning kit. And all of these items will most likely be in that kit. So I'm getting all my stuff out. It's nice and heated. We're gonna switch over to this other thing. So I'm gonna move you guys very nice and slowly. You can see my whole kitchen and my house. Sorry if I get you guys motion sick. So this thing right here, let me see. I'm gonna switch my video camera. I can't use it that way. Never mind. Okay, so this right here, I call like the best thing in the world. The reason why it's the best thing in the world is because of what it does. This thing is a steam juicer. It's stainless steel. At the bottom, there is a compartment. You put water in it. In the middle, there is a compartment that you catch the juice in. And on the top, it is full of huckleberries. You guys see them? This thing is the coolest thing in the world. Okay, if you are a berry gatherer and you've gathered huckleberries before, um, there is a lot of time that you have to put into cleaning these things, like taking the leaves out, the, the branches out, bugs out, 
taking the little tiny little tops off of it that gets stuck on there. This thing cuts down that time. I love it. Um, I use my gooseberries in here, which gooseberries are a very sticky berry. And they're very hard to, to use. I just throw them in here, throw grapes in there. You can throw whole apples in there. You don't even have to take the core out of it. You just throw it all in there and it makes this concentrated juice. Like if you can see, so there's this um, hose that comes out of it. Now you start getting all your juice out of it, which is coming out of that compartment. Be very careful because this juice is super hot. So you see, we collected a lot of juice already. Um, I'm gonna actually move this off of the um, countertop. I'm gonna set you guys here really quick. Right so I am going to move this over to my other area so that I can put my um, my jelly over here real quick. Let's see. I'm going to try to drain as much as I can real quick. So this is called a steam juicer. Like I said before, with a steam juicer, you can find it on Amazon. It is very very worth it. It's like 80 bucks, but best 80 bucks I've ever spent in my entire life because of this. It's worth it. And it's easy to clean. It's easy to use. Um, like I said, you could put anything in it, any kind of berry that you want. Um, so some of you guys might be wondering, hey, what is the difference? I'm gonna move a few things around. Sorry if I'm making you motion sick, apologize very much. Um, you might be wondering, um, what's the difference between jams and jellies, right? And so the difference between jams and jellies is jelly is the, uh, fruit juice of the fruit and jam is the actual fruit. So why we're making jelly is because we actually extracted this juice from these berries. Now, this steam juicer is so awesome that it's not adding actual water into your berries. So a lot of the old time ways to do it is you would, um, you would boil water and berries together. Then you would sieve it through this like like funnel and like it through some like cheesecloth and like it was a big process. This thing cuts that way out. And the juice is super concentrated. It's the best. I'm like telling you, I like to call it huckleberry sweat because like I sweated all the juice out of my huckleberries and it is so good. It's some of the best jelly hands down that you'll ever try. Okay, so. I was talking earlier about recipes, right? So like following the recipe is super important. Um, there's many things that you can get out there, botulism being one of them, um, E. coli poisoning. And if you, you don't know what E. coli is, it's just a fancy word for poop. Um, so like people getting poop on their hands or like if you have a field full of lettuce and you threw fertilizer on the lettuce and then harvested it, then people got E. coli poisoning that's what it is. Um, so these things are foodborne illnesses and um, it's very scary 
to think about it, um, especially for somebody like me that has done like all these food safety courses and like food handlers courses and all that kind of stuff. And like, you know, butchering stuff, um, you know, food safety is super important to me um, just because like, I want you guys to be able to have the tools to confidently can at home, but I also myself want to be able to can confidently at home. And so, you know, sometimes, um, you know, like auntie or grandma or somebody had a recipe that was years old and that they used them and you know th those are great and everything but they're not scientifically tested I cannot say that you can use those but if your family has survived this long on it I'm pretty sure they're they're fine but you know as a master food preserver I have to tell you to follow the recipe well good thing about um the pectin uh, so pectin is the, um, also helps to preserve your fruit juice or, or your fruit um, jam. And what it does is it actually helps to gel up. And so this is liquid pectin, some of my favorite. This one is made by Ball. Um, I use liquid pectin every time. Other people use other stuff, but I prefer liquid pectin. Um, there's actually recipes inside the book. I mean, inside the package that has like, you know, your jams and your jellies on one side and talks about what type of jams, what type of jellies that you're gonna use. But it also has the processing um, information on here that you're gonna need. And so when you're gonna make a jam or jelly, so Ball says to make the jam and jelly, it's right here in this little pamphlet. Don't throw away your pamphlet. It says that we're to prepare the water bath canner, prepare the jars and the lids. That's exactly what I did. Now I'm to combine the fruit and the sugar right together once i do that i'm going to bring it up to a boil a rapid boil for a minute and then after that minute i'm going to add my pectin in and then after my pectin i'm going to bring it back up to a rolling boil and i'll show you guys what a rolling boil means um, and then i am going to uh, boil it on that rolling boil for one minute and then after that it's done and i'm going to ladle into the jars okay and um, I know we're going to do questions and comments later, but I definitely see some popping up. I just want to make sure that like if you have a question, just throw it in the um, in the chat. And when we get the time to talk, um, we'll be able to go over those questions. So for this recipe, it calls for four cups of juice and seven cups of sugar. Yes, seven cups of sugar. I know everybody's like, ah, that's a lot of sugar. Well, there's other ways around adding that much sugar. So one way is the Paloma pectin um, or Sure Gel that has the low sugar, but there's also a way that you can like kind of skip all this stuff and just like make yourself some at home. You can take chia seeds and um, you can add it to your juice and chia seeds and mix it all in there and just make jam or jelly, but you need to make sure you eat those within the few days. Um, so those are just like quick tips. Like if you're looking for lower sugar, you want to add honey to the chia seeds and all that. You can make your own home chia seed jam. So it's really cool. Um, it's really easy to use. So, you know, I recommend that if that's what you're looking for, try that out. It's a really good way to do it. So I got the big jar. This is a half gallon jar. As you can see, I love jar stuff, right? I got tons of stuff everywhere. Well, I collected my juice prior. And so this is actually a measure too. It has measurements on the side. I don't know if you guys can see it, but it's four, four cups of juice. And then like Rachel Ray, 
I prepared the sugar beforehand too. So this is seven cups of sugar. You want to make sure that you measure it out properly. I'm going to put it into a stock pan. Now, you don't want to have a very short pan. Okay. And the reason being is like, say my pan is this high, half of this. So this pan is about 10 quarts or whatnot. So you don't want a short pan because sometimes this stuff boils over. Well, there's a trick too. If you only have short pans and you want to try it because you already got everything to this point, you can actually get butter out. And if it starts to boil over, you can just throw a spoonful of butter in there really quick and then it'll go down. So, but you want to make sure that you have a high enough pot. So there's my four cups of juice. So this is what it says. It says, add your four cups of juice and your sugar. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that you read this when you get home, if you're gonna do it, because uh, sure gel or different pectins, especially the powder pectin, this step is very different. So this one says to add the sugar with the juice. Um, some of those other pectins will say, add the, um, the sugar, I mean, the juice and the pectin in first, and then bring it up to a boil and then bring, put the sugar in. So there's very different steps. Please follow your recipe according to your pectin. I'm gonna throw the sugar in here. And turn this guy down. So I'm gonna move these guys out of the way real quick. And I'm gonna bring you guys closer. Sorry. So now what you need to do after you add your sugar and your juice together, this is very important. Don't leave this sitting here. Don't walk away, especially in the beginning um, because sugar and berries, they burn. And if you don't stir your pot, which this is a good stirring the pot. The other kind of stirring in the pot, don't do it, okay? Especially if they're you're gonna post something on Facebook to stir the pot, don't do it. Stir this, okay? Make sure that you stir the whole time right here. This is all you, this is all you're gonna do. One great thing, again, I like about the juicer, which I already took this off a little bit ago, but usually it's like hot boiling juice already. So it like takes no time to boil. Um, that's a great thing. Um, but also uh, when you add the juice and the sugar together, it boils very quickly. And then you add the pectin in, it comes back to that boil really quickly, which is cool. Um, but when you come to, um, when it comes to the, um, the uh, powder way, like if you were to add the powder in, you would, it would boil and then you would add your sugar and then you would bring it back up to that heat, which is, seems like to me a longer process, but you know, other people might say different. Whatever works for you is what you should do. Um, I like the liquid pectin because of this. So this is what I do. Just sit here and get your like your steam facial going on. Like, you know, you need to get like all nice and beautiful looking while you're doing that. You know, canning is definitely a labor of love. Um, you know, when I see my kids that, you know, they get to eat all this stuff all the time and like, you know, they enjoy it. 
Um, especially like if they have like store bought and something like from school lunches or something, they like a peanut butter and jelly um, crustables are like, this is not good. Well, the reason it isn't is because they're so used to this type of food and it's real food, right? All I put in it is berries and sugar for right now. Next, I'm gonna put the pectin in there. What I recommend that you do is if you're using liquid pectin, um, put it in a jar and cut the top off so it's nice and ready for you for as soon as it's time for the timer. So I just stir this whole time and just wait for seconds to get it going. Once it turns, once it roll, they call it a rolling boil. And what that means is like when I'm stirring and it continues to boil and roll, that is when it's a rolling boil. This one right here is just, you know, if you, if you um, move your, your spoon or your spatula around and it, then it stops boiling, it's not at a rolling boil. So, I don't know if people are asking questions, but I'd like to look while waiting. I'm happy to read some for you so that you can talk and stir since you just told us that stirring is our whole deal. Yeah, yeah, okay. perfect. <laughs> okay, so we had a question from Mia. Do you do anything with the remnants of the steam juicer? Yes, so um, these berries that were in the steam juicer were very clean berries. So I'm gonna make like fruit roll-ups with it. And so I'll take out my dehydrator. I'm gonna put a little sugar in there and just like smash all the berries down and then just roll it out on a silicone pad and dehydrate, make some fruit roll-ups with it. Um, other things like because we um, raise hogs, um, it's a very cool treat or a good treat for our animals. So we'll like pull it down and just give them a nice treat with it. Okay, the next question. How does the juice, the berries give, hang on a second. How does the juice, the berries give up, get from the top layer to the middle layer to be drawn off? Is the bottom surface of the top layer a metal screen? Actually, Russ, do you mind asking your question directly? I, um, it might just be a little more natural. <laughs> Hi, so, uh... <clears throat> Hi, my question is, um, what is the surface of the top thing that sits on top of the steam juicer? How does the juice drip through? So um, let me take you over there. Okay. Show you. Um, this is doing good. I'm going to keep stirring and pray it won't burn. Oh, sorry. So the top is a colander, as you can see. And yep. so the colander allows it to drip into this middle part, which I'll pull up really quick. And so in the middle is this like juice compartment. So it just drips down into there and there's uh comes into this little hose right here and then I just put it into the thing. So pretty cool, pretty, pretty neat. Um I don't know like if what kind of berries you might deal with, but like it's awesome for every berry or any type of fruit. Mm -hmm. 
Russ, you actually had a second question, didn't you? Well, she didn't really ask answer my first question, which is oh. the what is the the top thing that sits on the very top of the steam juicer? The bottom oh, of that must have holes in it so that the juice can get through. No, the thing underneath that, the next layer down, where yeah, the berries sit. It's a colander. Yeah. A colander. So I just want to see. Oh, okay, that's what the holes look like. All right. So I thought it might be like a sieve, you know, like a uh -huh. uh, like a you know the same kind of fine mesh. Yes. Okay. Thank you for letting me see that. All right. That's what I wanted to see. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the question either. So <laughs> right. All right. So the uh, the next question was, um, as you know, when you buy commercial pectin and you get out the little uh, uh, directions and the recipes are there, the recipes are usually for conventional cultivated fruit. So I'm wondering how uh, do you need to modify that, if at all, when you're using a wild fruit like huckleberries? Yeah, so sometimes you don't see like your berry on the list. Right. Um, the rule of thumb is four cups of juice or four cups of berries uh, to seven cups of sugar. So um, that's the rule of thumb. Um, the only thing is like, you know, I always like to try to find like a close neighbor, like huckleberry would be like a blueberry type of neighbor. Right. And so like sometimes blueberries, they call for added... Uh, lemon to that yeah. um, so i'll just add extra lemon sometimes but this one doesn't call for extra lemon juice to the blueberries in this pectin so um yeah this one doesn't have like that little sheet right here that i have it doesn't actually have huckleberries on there either so yeah. the rule um, is like four cups um to basically uh seven cups of sugar so this is a rolling boil right here so as you can see i'm stirring and it doesn't go down. So that's a rolling boil right now. Now the recipe says once it rolls boil, add a minute timer. So we're gonna time it for one minute. After that minute, we're gonna throw our pectin in there, bring it back up to that rolling boil, and then we're gonna time it for one more minute and then the recipe is done. So after I ladle it into um, my jars, it actually says that I need to process it for five minutes. And so the difference is, so you can see it on here. Um, it, it'll tell you exactly how long to process it. And basically for jams and jellies, it's two different. Uh, the jam is uh, 10 minutes and the jelly is five minutes. Um, so it shows right here, like after you ladle the jelly in. Fourth inch headspace, it says, wipe the rims, place, fill the jars ensuring that they are covered in the processor process 10 minutes um, for uh, adjusting altitude if you have to, but it's 10 minutes for jams and five minutes for jellies. And so altitude increases, um, it's five minutes per thousand foot. So it's right there in there too as well. So there's my timer. There's my pectin, I'm gonna take it, squeeze it all in there. Another reason why I like the liquid pectin is because it's easy to throw in there. So get all your little pectin out. Once you do, we're gonna bring it back up to a boil again. And then after that, we'll start the ladle process. So my timer is gonna keep going off for a second, but I'm gonna put an add minute on it really quick. As soon as it starts to roll boil again, which is gonna be really super fast.
if you guys were here, you guys could smell the glorious smell that's coming out of these berries. It's so good. So I'm gonna show you the rolling boil is back. So look, it's still boiling when I stir. So there's my cue to say, okay, that's a rolling boil. And so with that cue, I'm gonna time it for one more minute and just let it boil. Now I'm gonna put this spoon into the sink because I don't need it no more. And I'm gonna pull out my scoop spoon. Love this thing, best thing ever. Uh, if you can get one, like I said, it sits right on the side, right there of your pot. Um, it's, it's awesome, it's phenomenal. So once that's done, and as you can see, like the, the jam is up pretty high in, in this one, this 10 quart or eight quart, I don't know what quart size it is. So it's very, very high, um, the boiling of it. And so if you had a shorter pan, say like it was half the pan, this would be boiling over right now. And so that's the reason why I say as deep of the pot as you can get is what you want. All right, we're gonna turn it off. We're gonna turn our timer off and we're gonna start ladling. So let me see if I can get this shorter. I do all my own stunts. I do all my own um, videoing too. Okay, so you guys can see my jar. It has the jar with the funnel on top. Okay, now the recipe will say, I like to pull it a little closer or take it off that heat. Uh, the recipe will say to like skim the, the foam off the top. I don't do that. It's all good foam. It tastes delicious to me. Um, but if you prefer to skin your foam off the top, go right ahead and do it. Um, but I don't. Um, it's just a preference if you want it to be really pretty. And especially if you're selling your value-added product and you want it to look like so beautiful, then you would do that. But not, not, for, not for this. I won't. So I'm just going to take it and ladle it in. And it said a quarter inch head space from the top, which I showed you guys those head spaces. So and it's ladle it in. It's very hot, very, very hot. Be very careful. Oh, I gotta grab something real quick too. That's about it. Let me grab a couple paper towels and wipe them really quick. Okay, so a little bit more for the quarter inch head space. Just adding a little teeny bit more. And that looks about good. The longer, the longer you do it, the more easier it's gonna be to eye out that, that head space. Um, closer I can get. So I put the paper towels at the bottom of my, um, my cookie sheet so that if I spill over easy cleanup just kind of things that I do is like tips for others makes it super more easy to deal with 
Now, some people too might think like, oh, okay, so like you're making the jelly out of those huckleberries. So I threw a gallon of huckleberries in here. Um, it's gonna give me two sets. Um, it'll give me eight cups. Um, if I were to do the berries themselves and make jam, um, I would have the same amount of ratio to jars to jam. And once I ladle them all in, get every little bit of that precious out of there because it's so good. And I'm not lying. It's like some of the best ever. And like I go all around the United States and do conferences with the youth and stuff, like from all different parts of the country. This is like native nation tested approved. The kids, they love it. They're always like, Megan, when you come back to the next annual event, make sure you bring your huckleberry jelly. I'm like, okay, I will. So there's just a little bit left on this one. And what you can do is you can just top off those in there to make sure that the quarter inch headspace is there. So that's usually what I do. And then um, the next thing that I do, let's see if I could make it to where you guys can see it. It's a little too high. Yeah, see? So you take your jar. Let's see if I can pull you guys closer. And you want to get like a um, some damp paper towels because you want to wipe the rim of your jam. Now, this, this is very hot. Don't do what I just did. My fingers are burnt off. Like the top filling of my fingertips, like they don't feel that heat like they used to. And the problem is, is because I've been doing it for so long. If you have to wear an oven mitt because it's super hot, because you're gonna be taking this and wiping it around the, the top of your jar to make sure that you get any of that jam or jelly or whatever it is that you're putting in there off of the top of your jar so that you don't compromise your seal. Then we take, we get our nifty little Oh, never mind. This one got messed up. Try to do too many things at one time. This one's got two. Okay, so you take it, and I usually just take it and put it right on there. Just like that. And now, this is another thing that people do sometimes. Like, okay, you, you take it till you meet the point of resistance, and then you just like finger tight, like click it one more click. Do not wrench it on there because like wrenching it on there, you're gonna have to wrench it off of there and you don't want to do that. And so I got, look at this over here. So I have all these, I'm gonna wipe the rims and then we're gonna process them for five minutes. Once that five minutes is done, um, your jelly is done. Uh, we're gonna set it on the countertop after that and leave it. Um, you, the recommendation is to leave it overnight so that it can um, uh, seal correctly and that everything is nice and cooled down. So 
I had an elder one time message me and was like, hey, um, I made some fig jam and I put the lids on my fig jam. And when I put the lids on my fig jam, it's sealed. Now you heard that pop go off on that one. Um, it's not sealed. Um, it is sealed. Okay, take that back. It is sealed, but it's not safe. So because it didn't go through the processing time, you um, don't have a safe, safe jar of jam or jelly. And so he had had it sealed and then he had set his fig jam in the cupboard for like four days. And he asked me if it was safe. And I had to tell him like, you put a lot of work into that. I'm sorry, but it's not safe. Like according to what I know with food safety, that's not safe. It has to be processed in a canner for a certain amount of time. Like I said before, that is letting you know that the core, the core of this, the core in the middle of your jar is, um, has been either processed to a heat, to a level that will kill any bacteria or any foodborne illness in the middle of that core. So it's super important not to skip your steps. So we're gonna put them in the processor. So this is another important tip. You're like a robot, like you're taking it and you are not ever tipping it. You don't want to tip this way or that, that way at all. Never tip. Robot, robot status. Nice and gently into your canner. Robot status. What the reason why you don't want to tip it is because you don't want any jelly to get underneath that seal. Okay, so they're all in, they're dropped in. And I'm gonna put my lid on it. And the rolling boil applies to this as well. So I have to wait for it to come up to a rolling boil and then I'm gonna start my five minute timer. Once that five minute timer goes off, um, they are processed. So. Bring this back this way. And I'm just going to open it back up to questions and answers. And while we're waiting for it to process. Yeah, I see a couple of questions. Um, I see one from Russ. Do you want to ask it? Um, So, uh, Megan, have you ever made choke cherry jelly? No, I haven't did choke cherry. Um, we just don't have those in our local area, but I know a lot of different friends and, and people that I've met along the ways that do choke cherry. And you can do it the exact same way, too, as well. Okay, that was my question. We also have a question from Facebook around what sort of sugar substitutes you could use if you didn't want to use seven cups of sugar. <laughs> so um, as I said before, like if the recipe calls for those seven cups, you have to use it. But if, um, you know, you, you can find a low sugar recipe, which they have like the po po Pomona pectin, it's Pomona. I always say it wrong. 
Um, my uh, coworker, she uses that. Her name's Carmela. She always does like raspberry jams with the, like the low sugar. And I think it's like four cups of sugar as opposed to the seven cups of sugar. So you can get the pomona pectin or um, there's the other alternative, which is the chia seeds. You can add honey in there. You can add any of your sugar substitutes. Your, um, you know, if you have to have like fresh special types of sugar, like Splenda or whatnot, you can use that in there as well. Um, there's not really any pectins out there that are like a sugar substitute um, that I've found. Um, maybe somebody else has, but I haven't found it. Okay, we also have. Um... Renee, who has a question? Renee? Yes. Um, do you also um, can like cucumbers and uh, other foods besides, the, you know, just making a jams? Yeah, you can do like pickles with the cucumbers and stuff. Um, so um, another preservative is vinegar. And so you can do like uh, pickles, bread and butter chips, which like the sliced up cucumbers. Um, there's different ways that you can do that um, with the vinegar, dilly beans, those kinds of things. So, yeah, and a lot of it is in this book. It's so easy to preserve book. Mm -hmm. But there's also like fermentation that you can do. Like you can ferment like uh, different types of cauliflower, radishes, all that kind of, or like sauerkraut. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from cabbage you can make your own sauerkraut tons of stuff, different things that you can pickle too okay uh, yeah. or ferment so yeah okay yeah like we do at home like we grow a, a, a nice size garden and i do like all of our spaghetti sauce like i make i make my own sauces i do all the salsa all kinds of stuff yeah and and so you use the same process or with that steamer you know you had a three um uh, three tier or three layer if you want to do like, like I've never done cucumber juice or anything like that, um, with it you can. Um, if that's something you want to, you can just throw the cucumber in their hole. Um, I've not canned it, so I don't know if there's an approved recipe for that. But you can also put it into like you know, um, you can always freeze it. So like, say you got the cucumber juice and you didn't use it right away, you can put it in a jar. Which this is another one of my favorite things is these like white lids. You can get them um at like walmart or whatever and you can just put it jar and put it in the freezer and then you can just add your cucumber um juice or whatever to whatever you might be drinking okay thank you brooke also mentioned pickled flowers that sounds amazing i would love to try pickled flowers yes there's so much you can pickle mm -hmm. so we have a question from lori uh, Lori, would you like to ask yours? Otherwise, I'll read it from the chat. Hi, thanks. Uh, I was just wondering, because you said that you have to have it um, up to the quarter head. Yep. It, if you have it like lower than the quarter head, does that make a difference to? So when it's jams and jellies, um, you don't want it to be, cause it says the one fourth headspace, um, which the reason it, it does that is for s several different reasons. Um, one is just like getting the most out of your, your jam or your jelly. But the other is like, so like say you only got it to right here. It's not so bad if it's a one inch headspace left for your jam or jelly, 
But when you're going further down, this thing becomes like a flotation device and it will float in your water and it won't submerge because you have to have it submerge at least one inch above the jar um, and then boiling. So yeah, that, that would be the problem. And like with um, salmon, salmon is super um, oily. It's got omega-3s and omega-6 oils in it. And so it calls for one inch headspace. So like this whole thing, like if you try to put it more up here, that oil might potentially get underneath that seal and then compromise your seal. Thank you. You're welcome. Next up, we have Yao. Hi there. Uh, it's been a it's it's been a rather enjoyable class. Um, thank you so so much for everything that you have shared. I just have a very quick question, and then I'll shut up for the remainder of the session. Um, what's the sh what's the shelf life of say some something like canned peaches? I've always been a tremendous fan of peaches, and I've always wanted to can them. Um, I've I've always preferred them out of the can. Um, yeah. How long is their shelf life? That's my only question. Again, so, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Yao. Um, the rule of thumb is uh, two years. So like the, the, they say two years, right? Um, like this, this jam or this salmon, sorry. We canned mm -hmm. it on September 8th, 2020. Mm -hmm. This one, we say two years. Um, this is going to eat get really fast. So the, the rule of thumb is two years, but you want to eat what you're putting in a jar. Like, so, you know, I always try to say like as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, and if you're not sure, there's like ways that you can tell. So, um, rule of thumb to like, if you were to take your, your finished product and you store it, you'll want to store the rim or this ring loose on your, on your your food because if it gets too hot in here so like from our area and other areas that with a high heat um mm -hmm. sometimes this this uh seal will pop off and it'll pop back on you you won't even realize it so if you oh, keep okay. it there um you'll know that it 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 didn't unseal itself so those are things that could happen um but also like i'll look like if i don't know like say somebody dropped me off some stuff and they're like hey like somebody gave me the salmon, like you want it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. There's no date on the top, right? Yeah. All obvious looks like if this was bubbling in here, like say you see these juices and they start bubbling, yeah. not good. Or if you see like any greening or anything that looks bad, or just like if there's rust on the top of this thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. But other than that, two years is the rule of thumb. Thank you very much. I live in Boise, Idaho, which is Bannock Shoshone ter territory, and it can get as hot as 110 de degrees. The only thing that I will say is that it's rather dry up here. We don't get a lot of, hum of humidity and the air is a, a, a lot cleaner, but again, thank you very, very much. I shall bow out. Yeah, thank you. Mia had a wonderful question about bartering, Mia. Oops, I'm sorry, I accidentally muted you. Very good. Um, I was just wondering if you sell or barter your canned foods as well. So for like us, we just barter. Um, and, and the reason behind it is because of the fact that um, we mainly subsistence uh, gather or we subsistence fish. And so we just try to get as much as we need, uh, like our elders and our family. 
Um, but if we do um, barter, yeah, like anything that I think is comparable, like I'm getting ready to go barter um, a couple of these um, for I'm sorry, I don't think I can hear you. Yeah, it actually appears um, her her internet is gonna catch up here in just one second. Hang on just a second, Megan. Okay. Okay, your video is on its way, but it sounds like your audio is doing okay. Okay, so you guys can hear me now? I yeah, can we you. can hear you, but your video is frozen, so it'll probably catch up, but we can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, I can also turn the video off during this time because uh, it it'll work so um what i was saying about like um the the bartering is like that's something i'll do but it, we don't sell it because you can't really put a price on this um the fact is that my husband and my sons um they go and they set a net overnight and they catch whatever it may be a couple fish a night and then we take those fish and they bring them home cleaned um and then we we uh, fillet them, we salt and pepper them, and then we smoke them for a day and a half. Um, and then we pressure can them or we cut them up and we put them in the counter for like 90 minutes or so. But the hours that we put into this like one jar is like so much, like you couldn't really put a price tag on it. This would be actually be priceless. So I just basically barter for things that like I would want from somebody and that's how I do it. But I, we, I, I give them away as gifts most of the time. Um, a lot of time we eat them like my nephews and my nieces so like i'm one of those aunties that like my auntie's house is always open and mm -hmm. auntie always has food and so you know they're the nephews and the nieces are always like auntie can i get a jar of salmon for the road auntie break out some salmon auntie like where's your salmon at you know so like it's hard to keep it around I have actually a little bit of a more difficult question for you. Um, how can bartering be used to generate valid economy? Because um, our foods are a form of capital, as is the knowledge it takes to produce it that you just explained. It's very hard to assign value to something so important. Um, so how does bartering contribute to a diverse economic system as compared to the capitalist one now like what are the differences that you see so like you know hoopa we were actually known as like a world trade center before contact and so what that meant is like a lot of different tribes would come to the area and it would be like a place to barter or a place to buy it was just like this shopping center um, and so those local food economies, they still exist in native communities um, and they're so easy to get. We do farmer's market, um, which we have like in the summertime and we actually all come together and all throughout that time, everybody's bartering with each other. So all that food is either grown or produced or gathered and hunted by your fellow community member. And it, you know, you know where it came from you know how safe it is. So like that, that barter community is super important um, because it's something that sustained us since time immemorial. Um, this, this new system, which has flipped the idea, 
of economies upside down for Indian people with, you know, you have this paper money, right? And you're, you're paying this money and you have value to everything. It's a lot different because my value in the salmon might be different than your value of your item that you have. And so something, you know, when you put monetary value on it, to me, like, okay, maybe if I was to put monetary value on it, this would be a $60 jar, right? Well, if I just want to trade eggs for that, that's not really something that is comparable to the monetary value that I put on it. But to me and my family, we need those eggs. And so we'll barter through that way. So there's just, I think, you know, our system going back to that barter mentality and going back to that way um, is super important, and especially in food sovereignty. We cannot be food sovereign if we do not have a local food system and that local food systems consists of our ancestral ways of doing things and that was that barter method or that was that trade method and so um, bringing back those things are super important to food sovereignty because you know um, each one of us has a gift and in our villages when we lived in the village lifestyle each person had a certain gift you know somebody knew how to make acorns really well or somebody was a great basket maker or this person was a great fisherman, you know, those kinds of people had those skills and they had those talents when it came to food. And so that system depended on each one's gift and what they bring to the table. And that, that is um, super important to bring back, I see, um, because we're, we're missing that. And it's something um, that we need to bring back. And like I said, there's nothing greater to me in this life than to open this jar that my son's fished out with my husband that we all can together we all put it in this jar and those memories that i hold to this you know that's that connection of food i agree 100 i mean it's yeah. kind of like my ancestors the so-called Az aztecs who were actually called the mexica had in tenochtitlan the grand market which had seventy thousand pe people a, a day um, most of it was barter, though, though cacao and, um, gets, gets feathers and a couple other items were, were used as substitutes for, I guess, money. Cause yeah. our, our ancestors, our we didn't, we didn't have that European col colonialist, uh, con concept of worthless pa paper, worthless metals, et cetera, et cetera. No, uh, exactly. everything we, we did. Uh, it was usually barter, and it was, I guess, through the tribute system that our Tlatoani or speaker um, passed down to to the to the people. So I I think it's a wonderful thing that you're trying to bring it back. I think pers personally, I agree with it 100 percent because there is value in food. There is no value in in paper currency or or you know. Any, anything that's not tra traditional to these here lands, I don't think really has any any value, but that's just my biased indigenous opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Cause like you think about it, I always talk about food security, like, you know, even in the context of like, if you like say the lights went out in your area, you had a snowstorm or like, you know, the road slid out or something, you have five days worth of food. Like, can you feed yourself if there was no store to be able to access all that kind of stuff? Do you have five days worth of food? And a lot of people say no to that, um, or they hope so. Um, but 
you know, when you think of that food security within a home unit, like for us, we were like, yeah, we, we totally have more than that worth of food. But does my elder have that? You know, does my children have that? And that food sovereignty, uh, thinking about everybody in the village gets fed. Even if everybody in the village doesn't really contribute as much to the feeding, um, you know, they get fed because that is what we do as Indian people. We are those people that make sure that our elders and population. And so, you know, I mentality because we need it desperately. I mean, the pandemic proved that food systems are not stable. You know, people went out and panicked. And people, you know, they, I mean, toilet paper or meat, you know, it was crazy and the food system is. And so that local food economy and matured in your community is super vital. Well, thank you. And that whole toilet paper hoarding was absolute, was, was as an if I may say, say, say so. Yeah, it is good to, to be clean down there, but how's that going to stop a, a pandemic? That's just my that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Yao, for the commentary. Thank um, you. It's so good, you know, to hear about the ways that seasonal regional economies come into play. I just heard so much in the conversation there, um, especially as folks are, are working on figuring out, like, they're calling them liberty gardens, but I hear from native community, we're all calling them sovereignty gardens. So, you know, regional eating is important, seasonal eating is important, but when you're looking at is my elder fed, things like food preservation really do ensure that. Yeah. Um, they travel well, you can still drop them off on your elder's front porch. Um, if you're doing them according to how you've been properly taught now by Megan for safety and hygiene, you know, there's medicine that goes into foods that I think is, is just so um, important to address and just, you know, stress that as we're listening to this class, it, all of these things, Indigenous economies are, are just as vibrant and dynamic as our diaspora. So I appreciate, Megan, that you're talking about things like barter and, and you know, refusing to say, I sell this for $25 and, and giving it that value. Interpersonally, especially, um, I create jewelry that I trade. Uh, I will sell a few of them if it's for a fundraiser for a thing like First Foods. We've done that in the past, but I don't really sell mine either for that same reason. Um, putting a, a value on something like that, it it's a slippery slope, I think, because then there's expectations of others that they do the same thing. So I appreciate that you are modeling that for us as well. And, you know, one thing I do in my work as well is because USDA, they don't consider a farmer you a farmer unless you can showcase that you can make a thousand dollars a year off of your goods and so for us that's a it's a different mentality and so i talk to them about assistance and having those important things in the policy 
um, that the federal government designs or the policy around funding resources, like having that mentality of like, we look at food very differently. And I look at it like, okay, I have six kids and like tons of nieces and nephews, like, you know, how much food am I going to need to sustain them? You know, and I look at it very different than like, oh, well, we made a thousand dollars off of our farm this year. So I think a lot of that, um, you know, we can start doing as indigenous people is changing that narrative that is put out there for Indian communities because they just don't get us right. They don't, they don't get the way that we do things. They don't get the way that we operate. And so they forget us. Well, we don't want them to forget us because we need their resources. I can look out in my community and say, hey, I see a need here as a Hoopa woman and I want to help my own people. I just need the resources to do that. And so we really have to change the narrative and the way that people see and perceive um, our foods too, like our first foods and, and what it means to us to create a sustainable local food economy or a local food system. Yeah, thank you. We have, um, Lori has one more question, which will be the last question. Then Mia will close us out. I'll do sponsor thank you and make sure that you all plug or understand our giveaway again. Um, so Lori, would you like to join us for your question? Yeah, hi, thank you very much again. Um, are the young people picking up on the different um, techniques that you and your other community members are doing when you come together and you share in that market. I'm very interested in finding out if that's very popular with your young or if it's dying out. I surely hope that it isn't though. Oh yeah. Yeah. The youth really love it. So like I work in collaboration with the school districts, the pandemic has slowed a lot of that youth outreach down, but um, usually we go into the classrooms, um, the high school, this, um, this last few years, their economic room opened back up. So we'll go, we'll take the kids and gather like we did huckleberries. We went and gathered huckleberries, we cleaned them and we made huckleberry jelly. Um, and so a lot of those kids are, are taking on this food preservation knowledge at a very young age. And we do the classes um, when it comes to food preservation, our food system, and a lot of times at our farmer's market, those kids that are in my classes, they come and they sell their jams or jellies there. Like we had this one young lady um, that came and to the class and took the class. And what we do is we go after funding um, to not only give the class, but we give out canners too, as well as canning kits. And so we believe that giving you the knowledge and the tools is going to keep you fed. And so um, with the youth, they come and we do youth projects with them too. And, and they take a canner home. Well, we've had youth that have bring their jams and their jellies and um, sold them. And this one youth that she would come and she would bring her jams and jellies weekly. And she actually had repeated customers. Like she had people that were like, hey, where is so-and-so um, here to buy her jams and jellies, like weekly customers. And that was super cool. But we see it all the time. Like I've actually had kids that you know, we've taken out and, um, you know, one of my, one of my philosophies is because we have so much Himalayan blackberry brush here, which is an invasive species to our community, but it also feeds our community. Um, in the summertime, when kids don't have access to that, um, to the, the lunches, right, the school lunches, we'll take them out and we'll help them uh, collect berries and then I'll help them can them. And then they'll take a half of, half of, um, a half of, uh, 
and my philosophy is that those kids will take it home and they can find peanut butter and bread, you know, from food that will keep them all summer. And so um, we have the kids that do that, but also those kids are like, I'm gonna go sell this jam because I need wrestling shoes. I need school clothes. Like uh, I'm told, really see the value of, you know, um, value out of. Great, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that was a wonderful class. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, again, thank you for all the questions to everyone. Um, but thank you, um, Megan, for teaching and showing us the process of your um, canning the huckleberry jelly. Um, learning about bartering the canned foods too, really how it strengthens our local food systems and seasonal regional economies is really invaluable for how we strive for food sovereignty and combat food insecurity in our communities. And it also is um, really great to also hear about the history of Hoopa. I didn't know about that personally. So it just goes to show that we've been doing this for centuries and we, like we know what we're doing. And again, like food sovereignty is a global movement, but it also looks different depending on where you are. And that's always been one of my biggest takeaways. So thank you so yeah. much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, with that, we are concluding yet another wonderful First Foods. Thank you so much, Megan. Um, thank you to everyone for coming. Next week, we're back on track with how it's been from last season where we have three classes and then a conversation with all of our First Foods instructors to just really get down and, and dig around and understand some of the things about food sovereignty and the everyday ways that we can incorporate it into our lives. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're all here is we're interested in the same thing. So it should be lively, wonderful discussion with vibrant speakers. Um, we have a giveaway that we're gonna be doing. You have to be at class at the discussion at the end to, do, to be eligible for the giveaway. Uh, they are these really cool solar lights and, and USB charger things. They're from Makers for Good, uh, graciously provided by Trees, Water, and People. Maybe you remember one of our instructors from their last season. Uh, so we're going to be giving those away. We've got two of them. They're worth $98 a piece. They're like pretty sweet little giveaways. So we hope that you'll come. Thank you to our sponsors and our supporters. Please remember, if you loved this, First Foods is now cash. Uh, we can accept cash or PayPal and it is tax deductible. So if you liked this, please consider giving us five bucks, 10 bucks, all of it goes to a good cause and makes these classes possible. So with the support from Her Many Voices Foundation, Green Feather Foundation and Grinding Stone Collective, have a good night, everybody. Bye. Bye.